So I come to making my jewelry from a place of the power behind the piece. That's why I like to use the word, you know, amulet or talisman, because I do think that it is all about intention, a lot of what we do in this world. So wearing pieces and feeling like protected is a, is a big thing for me. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know if it's some past life thing where I was some warrior. I had to be a warrior. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. I want to invite you to my brand new free webinar, Zestful Aging, Here's How You Do It. Many of my clients tell me that they're stretched too thin with too many demands upon them. They are just worn out. In my brand new webinar, I teach simple and sensible habits that will significantly improve your life now and help you age with vibrance and resilience. But it's important to start now. Don't wait until your body's distress signals go from a whisper to a scream. If you follow me at all, you know I'm not about restrictive diets or boot camps. I believe life can be challenging enough. Let's appreciate our bodies and minds for the miraculous systems they are and take the time to take care of ourselves. Self-care pays big dividends now and in the future. And being well ourselves is the only way we can help those we love. And if you sign up now, I will send you my super zestful aging checklist, which I designed so you have clear guidelines right at your fingertips. The webinar is free. You can sign up at NicoleChristina.com. And as always, I appreciate your feedback. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Today's guest is Michelle Durin, who is a jewelry artist and designer. Michelle is speaking to us today from her art studio, which is a vintage Airstream trailer that sits on her eight-acre wooded property in upstate New York. Michelle uses ancient symbolism to make one-of-a-kind amulets of adornment, and her customers say wearing these pieces makes them feel powerful. Welcome to Zestful Aging, Michelle. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm very well. You know, we have a slight disadvantage because we're audio, um, but your work obviously is so visual and I'm wondering if you could paint a picture for our listeners what a classic Michelle Durin piece might look like. Uh, well, I do have sort of um, different lines, I guess I would say. Um, one of the most iconic things, uh, pieces that I wear all the time is uh, this winged lotus is what I call it. Um, and it's 
a big stone, probably about four inches wide with these two wings attached and then, um, a Lotus on top. And it's, it's, it's heavy and it's, uh, I feel like it's a protective piece for me. That's probably one of my pieces you'll see me wearing all the time. But I also do a lot of delicate pieces as well that have cast bronze charms um, that speak to me. And I always have two very big rings on. (laughs) Um, Usually colorful, either stones or enameled copper. Um, And again, those kind of make me feel like I'm ready. You know, when I put those on, I'm good to go. You know, you're saying things that maybe people don't usually uh, associate with jewelry. You said, I have this protective piece. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I, I you know, one of the things that drew me to um, making jewelry was, you know, as an undergrad, I started working with um, metal, steel, bronze, aluminum, big pieces, iron pores. And I I loved it. I just felt like, you know, when you have that moment where you're like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started moving into making jewelry um, in my, during my graduate career. And it just, I don't know, it just feels like um, when you look at ancient jewelry or even tribal jewelry that I am really drawn to, all those pieces have um, a meaning behind them. A lot of times they're um, maybe connected to a ritual. So I come to making my jewelry from a place of of that, of that sort of uh, the power behind the piece. That's why I like to use the word, you know, amulet or talisman, because I do think that, you know, it is all about intention, a lot of what we do in this world, you know. So wearing pieces and feeling like protected is a, is a big thing for me. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know if it's some past life thing where I was some warrior. I had to be a warrior, but I do put my jewelry on and feel like, um, it's a form of protection. And I do tell people that some of the pieces could be, you know, used as a weapon if need be. And um, that's just, I don't know where it comes from. I think it's, I think it's just, uh, it's just what it feels like for me with, with jewelry. There's um, a story behind it. It's not just something pretty to go with your outfit. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is pretty and it will go with your outfit. <laughs> that's important to me too, believe okay. me. Um, but, you know, there's, there's definitely something behind that. And, you know, I get feedback from my customers all the time that, you know, especially my angels, I do a lot of guardian angels and, um, and people just feel like, oh my God, that just they, they can feel the energy behind it. And, and I think that's kind of bigger than me. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this and, and, uh, that's, that's sort of the gift, you know? So. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. And has this developed, you mentioned an undergrad, you were doing different kind of work and then you started getting into these metals and these, these bigger, heavier pieces can you take us through a little bit, you know, your development as you've gotten older, how your jewelry making um, and the spirituality, it sounds like, behind that has evolved? 
Yeah, I mean, like I said, when I was in an undergrad, uh, I studied sculpture, and they didn't have metalsmithing, jewelry making classes, but I loved working with the big, um, you know, I loved welding and, and doing these big metal pours. Um, that also felt, for me, really powerful. Um, you, you know, not a whole lot of people have that type of experience where they're pouring, you know, bronze at 3500 degrees you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. uh it's it does feel very powerful but then i think i think it was meant to be that i started there because then when i um i my path was a little interesting when i was young i had my son my oldest son ian and i was still in undergraduate school um i finished up after he was born and then um, my second son was born and then I decided I was going to go back to school to be an art teacher. Uh, my husband's a teacher and it just seemed like this will be great. Uh, you know, we'll be on the same schedule and, mm -hmm. and uh, I'll be still doing art and it'll be good. So I, I was working on my master's in art education and then I just got, I was just itchy to get back in the studio. Um, you know, I had two kids, I had been home for a while and I was like, I want to make stuff. <laughs> so I started getting back into the sculpture and doing these big metal pours. And then I took metal smithing and it was, you know, everybody talks about that aha moment. That's where it was for me. Mm -hmm. So I was able to take all of that sort of, you know, uh, intensity and, um, you know, everything that I would put into my sculpture pieces, the big pieces, I just started putting into small pieces that people could wear. So it's, I come from a place very much of it being pieces of art, um, and just wearable. So I don't think I would have gotten where I am now if I hadn't had that whole experience of you know, being a sculptor and then moving into um, metalsmithing. So I ended up getting two degrees in my master's in art education and then in metalsmithing. And uh, it was a great experience being in a fine art program. I had all the sculpture uh, studio access to doing these big pieces and casting resin and, you know, all um, just great experience but then metalsmithing we had etching and we had enameling and we had casting mm -hmm. and we had forging and so I really uh, have a lot of experience with various materials and um, I think that really informs my work because I'm able to do things that a lot of jewelers aren't doing or don't mm -hmm. don't do because they might be coming at it from a more traditional kind of mm -hmm. perspective so that's fascinating. So this is only one expression of of what you know how to do and your experience. Were, were there other women? I'm trying to imagine you with these big metal pours, you know. Um, were there other women doing this or did you find yourself with big burly men? You know, it's really funny because I was thinking uh, this morning about this podcast and um, just sort of my inspiration. And one of the first big inspirations for me was this woman uh, artist, Louise Bourgeois. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she mm -hmm. does these huge 
steel spiders and cells that are just like very intimate and intense and um her work really spoke to me and i uh remember seeing a picture of her in my sculpture class and she was a very short french woman mm -hmm. and she was quite a bit older when she was doing these very large pieces and i had the opportunity to take my two boys when when i was in graduate school this was a while ago like uh 15 years ago to her salon she would have in new york city in her apartment you could you could come in bring your artwork and you could talk with her it was sort of oh, a wow you know it was it was such a trip it really was and i i have to find these photos i just can't find these old photos of my boys there but um you know and my oldest went on to study uh design as well so it's just I have a lot of memories connected to being in the foundry and there were a lot of women there. The other woman that was a big mentor for me is this woman, Mary Gale, and she taught sculpture and she is probably five, three. I don't know. She's not very tall. Um, a powerhouse though. And then I also had a, another classmate who was studying sculpture, who was also a petite, strong woman. Um, and another woman that was in the studio at the time is a woman, uh, Arlena Bend, who, you know, very much like Louise Bourgeois, she's, I don't know exactly how old Arlene is right now, but um, she's in, she's in her 80s. Mm -hmm. And she's still creating sculpture. And she's amazing. So these were, these were the people that were around me. There were plenty of big burly men, don't get me wrong. And the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the artist that ran the program was a, a a uh, man named Roger Mack, who in Syracuse, uh, in the area, everybody uh, knows who Roger is. He's um, just w was a wonderful man. And he unfortunately got melanoma and passed away while I was doing my graduate degree. And mm. it was a huge loss for, for the program and for the school. Um, mm. And everything has really changed a lot since then. But there was this really wonderful community that was happening when I was there where Roger was the type of person who, when I came in, I had two kids, you know, my husband was working, he was, you know, doing everything he could to, you know, like you can imagine, we didn't plan on having my son when I was in college. So, sure. you know, there was a lot going on. And, and, uh, I remember going to Roger and talking to him and being like, I really want to do this thing. And I just wasn't sure if it was the right thing for my family because the safer route was definitely going, just getting the teaching degree and being an art teacher. But, sure. but I really wanted to do it. And he knew I wanted to do it. And he was like, he, he said, you have to do it, and, and this is the only way it'll stick. I remember him saying that. Mm. And it, it's intense, you know. I mean, it was a three-year art program. I had two kids, and plus I was doing this other degree. So it was a lot. I was teaching um, wow. metalsmithing, and I was teaching art history because I had a, you know a opportunity to get um, – an assistantship. So I was lucky my school was paid for and they even paid me. So I did have some income from all of it. Wow. Um, but Roger would allow other people from the community to come in and take classes and sign, you know, they didn't have to necessarily be enrolled in a program. Uh, he was very open about 
wanting this community of artists. So Arlene was one of those. I mean, she was there and working, but she wasn't actively pursuing a degree. She already was very much, you know, trained in what she was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were several, you know, people that were quite a bit older than me uh, that were women that were there doing that work. And, uh, and it was a really special time. So did you get the sense that or, or do you get the sense now that people who do this kind of work um, also bring a spirituality to their work? Or is that something that you find is unique to your process? Um, I, in the, in the sort of circles that I run in, I, I think that there is a fair amount of, um, there's malas, you know, uh, people using stones. I'm a yogi, you know, there's a lot of yogis that like jewelry that has mm-hmm. meaning behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's an old tradition, like I was saying of, you know, the sort of ancient jewelry or, you know, I, I love to look at old, you know, African pieces and pieces mm-hmm. where people, you, you see like the whole, you know, the whole picture of it being more than just something they're wearing, the meaning behind it. And so I think that, I think that is still out there. I think there's plenty of jewelry that is just, you know, just that shiny things. Um, but I think that, uh, I think a lot of people are interested in in something that is has a deeper meaning. I think mm-hmm. people are drawn to that. Mm. So. so could you take us through the process of um, how a piece gets born? So you go in your studio, your vintage Airstream trailer, and how do you start? What, what, what does it look like? Um you know i it's a lot of it doesn't start in the trailer it's in my mind you know it's uh it's i have an idea i have either a color scheme that i'm being drawn to um or an idea that the a lot of the symbols that i use um are meaningful to me like the hamsas about protection and the evil eye um so i think that a lot of those ideas are going around in my head. And then one of the ways I do my um, bronze pieces is I'll find a vintage piece of either a statue or, um, you know, a broken piece of a lamp. Like a lot of times I repurpose things that I find. Um, I use a lot of uh, vintage metals and then I'll make a mold of the piece and then I will cast it in the bronze. Um, the way that I do my bronze work is, um, it's a, I have a kiln that does a burnout. It's a 15 hour process basically of burning out this binder. Cause it's a, it's a bronze clay that I use. Um, but I guess a lot of it just sort of flows. It's it's not something like I have to sit down and say, okay, what am I going to do now? It's just there. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of always sort of flowing in like, oh, I'm going to do that. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, just kind of comes to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I did start doing handbags this year. Um, and those require a little bit more sort of, of a, sometimes of a 
thought process behind them in terms of the construction and things like that. Um, so that requires a little more planning. Whereas with the jewelry, I'm kind of just, I've done it for so long. It's kind of from, from the hip a lot of times, but, um, but in terms of the actual designs of the bags, a lot of that too is I use a lot of symbols and I like to use things that are colorful and bright. So yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. I think yeah. so. It sounds like yeah. it, it's not, a, you don't go in the trail or meditate and then, you know, necessarily start sketching, for example. It's a little bit more organic than that. It you just sort of uh, hear something or see something in your mind and then you start putting it together. Is that more accurate? Yeah, just sort of it, just tapping into that. I can't mm -hmm. draw. I'm a terrible, I'm terrible at drawing. So if I ever need anything drawn or even with the bags, if I need a, a pattern, my husband is very patient and he will help me and he'll make the pattern for me. He'll draw mm. it and I'll be like, yep, I want it to look like that. And then, you know, so there's a little teamwork there with, uh, with that sometimes he's, mm. he's good like that. You were saying that you use unusual vintage, um, materials. And I heard a story that you used a paint chip from a vintage Corvette to make a piece of jewelry. Is that true? Yeah, there's this, um, really cool material. It's called New Fordite, which is, you know, um, a play on uh, Ford, the mm. motor company. And mm. they also refer to it as Detroit Agate, you know, because Detroit <laughs> being the home of where so many cars used to be made. And so they would put the cars up on these tracks when they were painting them. Um, I'm sure they don't do it this way anymore. And all of that paint would build up on these on these um, tracks and create layers like you could imagine of the earth, you know, so and all different colors. So Corvettes are known for their sort of bright colors, right? And the red and the yellow. And so um, somebody, I don't know who was the first person when they were like cleaning out of that, you know, cleaning that stuff up said this could be really cool and started making it into cabochons so i found out about it and i thought this is awesome it's so they're all completely one of a kind you know mm -hmm. no two are going to be the same i love that and the colors are all swirly and with the corvette paint um a lot of it is very uh sparkly as well you know it's got some um metallicness to it so they're mm -hmm. very very cool and um and it's also a, a sort of not, it's a finite source of that. You know what I mean? It's like, there is what there is out there. I see. Um, yeah. So it's I like think the that, mine is closing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there are people that are actually recreating it and, and making it um, somehow, you know, just basically building up layers of paint. Mm -hmm. But, but some of that original stuff is, I find really interesting. So you know, I'm thinking about your aesthetic, and um, then I'm thinking about where you live, which is a small town in upstate New York, um, and I'm wondering how those pieces fit together, because your work is really avant-garde and, and unique, and how does that pair with Jamesville, New York? You know, um, I grew up in New York City. I grew up on Staten Island. 
Um, my dad was born in uh, the village, and I would always go to art shows with my dad. My dad's a big art collector. So I had all that background. Um, but I really love my green space. I really love to be around nature. So um, I think there's a lot of really talented artists that being sensitive, I think a lot of artists tend to be on the sensitive side, um, even though a lot of them, I'm sure, live in major cities like New York being one of them, but also need some, you know, some space around them. So for me, it's, uh, I just, I, I, I like having the sort of, I'm, it's almost like I live in a tree house, mm. having all this green space around me and, and it feeds my work too, you know, it keeps me, keeps me grounded. So, um, and in terms of like living here and maybe this not being the fashion capital of the world, <laughs> um, you know, whatever. I mean, I, the way I approach, um, fashion and what I wear is, is very, you know, I just do what I do and I don't really care about if, if it's like too much or over the top, you know what I mean? <laughs> For anybody, <laughs> you know, so, uh, just because to do anything else would really not feel like I was being real. Mm -hmm. I, f I found this box of old photos uh, a couple days ago and it was like uncovering a time capsule of, you know, 20 years and even older because I found old pictures from um, my grandparents and things. But I found a few photos and I looked at them and I thought, wow, that's when that's when you kind of thought you were like doing some conservative thing. And I was like, that so didn't work for you. <laughs> I was like, I had some cardigan on and I was like, I was like, wow, it really just wasn't you. I'm, you know, I'm just like, so I'm glad I got to where I am now. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know that I was faking then. I just think I was trying it on. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm, sure. Like, I think we kind of do that. And then, you know, at this point, almost 50, I really seriously don't care, you know? And, and I know I get the eye roll maybe sometimes, but most of the people who know me and love me would expect nothing less than for me to show up in mm -hmm. whatever it is I'm wearing, you know. And um, You like, so. um, I don't know if they're technically called tiaras, but you have head, uh, what would you call those? Like um, something I, you wear around your head. What is that called? Yeah, well, I did a series of horned headpieces headpiece okay yeah for um i just wanted to do them frankly but then i ended up using them for syracuse does have a fashion week um mm -hmm. so there are fashion people in syracuse doing interesting things yeah um and so they got to be worn on the runway for that and i sold a bunch of them um i i do like headpieces again it goes back to that sort of um that ancient um, just like in my head, you can sort of see some old ritual where somebody was putting something on. I mean, well, kings and queens, right? I mean, they mm -hmm. put the crown on their head, so it's 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 kind of about that too. Um, just it being again a sense of power too. I haven't watched Game of Thrones, but so many people are like, "Have you watched Game of Thrones? Oh. Is that is that where these came <laughs> from?" And I'm like, you know, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I, I remember turning it on and they cut somebody's head off in the first couple minutes. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm good. You know, yeah, so yeah. I didn't, I haven't really watched it. But um, but a lot of people who love that do love those headpieces. So 
Yes, it seems very Viking and ancestral. You know, you're talking uh, uh, quite a bit about protection. And since most jewelry is worn by women, are you finding that more women are resonating with this, this idea of power and protection as the Me Too movement has really uh, gained traction? I, I think so. I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like I want to fight or anything, but I've always felt like that even before the Me Too movement. And I, I feel like it's out there now, but it's always been there. I mean, women have always had to deal with these issues, you know. So, um, and again, not to get all um, uh, sounding a little too new agey, but I, I do have sort of these sort of past life kind of deja vu thing sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I do think in, in some other lifetime, I <laughs> either had to protect myself or I was some kind of warrior or something like that. And I think right now women need that, you know, they need to feel powerful because it feels like some of our power is being taken away and we've worked really hard to get it. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that women, I know the evil eye and um, the Hamsa and some of those pieces that are really very much about protection. My customers are like, I got, I got my evil eye on today, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a cancer too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're all about our shells and I think that's where the, a lot of the protection piece comes in for me too, because mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very sensitive, so at, at kind of creating that a little bit of a a boundary around myself is something that I need. So, um, mm -hmm. that's where that comes from too. It's such an interesting intersection that you describe of this um, history, beauty, and function. You know, yeah. the idea that when you have a have one of Michelle Duran's pieces. It's not just interesting. It's not just like, wow, this comes from, you know, a Corvette paint shavings. It's, it's got this, this historical aspect. And then it's got this very um, current aspect of and when I wear it, I feel safer. Yeah, I feel like uh, I, I, I've asked my customers, you know, to get feedback from them over the years and the, the things that came up were they feel um, empowered, they feel sexy, and mm -hmm. and um, I think badass came up a couple times, <laughs> you know, so like if, if that's how they're feeling when they're wearing my pieces, then I'm doing my job because that's how I feel and that's how, that's I think a nice thing to give you know, back to women is, is, yeah, you know what? And, and being sexy doesn't, you know, I don't mean that in a, um, not that that's a negative thing, but that has power too. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, you know, sexual appeal does have power, not that you want to manipulate or anything, but it's okay to feel sexy. It's, you know, I think like people want to look good. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You want to feel attractive. And that's a long history of adornment has been about that as well. It's been about, you know, um, 
be becoming a, more attractive and and all of those and things. desirable. Yeah, and I think as we age, you know, that gets very complicated as we have more wrinkles and gray hair. Maybe the question becomes, what makes me feel sexy now? Because society says if I'm a little saggy and, you know, whatever, I'm not as desirable. And I love the idea of, wait a minute, I'm putting on this amulet and there's this sexual power behind it. Absolutely. And, you know, I have women say this a lot to me. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, you can wear that. I can't wear that. Or... Well, I, you know, I, I don't really want to draw too much attention to my neck because they start to get like a little saggy in their neck. And, and mm -hmm. I, my response is always, if you have that necklace on, they're not looking at your neck. They're looking <laughs> at the necklace, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm always, I always encourage people because I feel like there shouldn't be any rules, you know. I think sometimes people want to be comfortable in what they're wearing, but I do try to encourage people, my customers to sort of get out of their comfort zone and be like, you know what, you can wear that. You know, a lot of times mm -hmm. women who are a little shorter, they'll be like, well, I'm too short to carry that off. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, there are no rules. And then look at Louise Bourgeois, you know, it's like five feet tall making steel um, spiders that are just like, could engulf, you know, <laughs> the world. Yeah. You're just like, there's like something out of a movie, a horror movie, you know, and you're like, wow, she did that. So... I feel, I say bring it, you know, mm, wear it. Mm -hmm. Do you get people who commission you, um, for example, saying, I want something to wear to this art opening and I want it to have this uh, sort of power behind it or this characteristic? Not, not so much like I want it to be, you know, in this metal, but I want it to be, have sort of more emotional uh, aspects to it. I, I do have people commission me um, often for something special to be worn, either for like I'm going to a wedding and I want something like this, or I mean it's always in in the framework of how I work, but um, I do try to accommodate people. A lot of times people have somebody that's passed on to, and they'll ask me if I could make something to remember that person and there might be something special for them about a, you know, a, a symbol that is, mm. reminds them of some, so like hummingbirds and butterflies oh, and, I see. um, and angels obviously and cardinals, uh, those sort of come up a lot of times when people are wanting something custom that is going to connect them to somebody that they've lost. So, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah, I see. Um, where can people look at your work and not just imagine it? Where uh, where can they find you, Michelle? Uh, I have a website, uh, mm -hmm. which is michelledurinjewelry.com. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also in several stores in the area around Syracuse in um, Fayetteville, Heidi's Boutique, mm -hmm. um, Industry at Armory Square, downtown Syracuse. Um, also Casanova jewelry is, um, going to be carrying my things very soon. Um, and they're in Fayetteville and in Casanova, and they're also going to be in the inner Harbor near, uh, destiny mall. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's a little bit of a ways off, but that's going to be exciting too. And, um, I had some things at Lily Bean down in Casanova. I also do a lot of art shows. So um, 
I can always be contacted through the website to find out mm-hmm. what are the upcoming shows and mm-hmm. on Facebook um, and Instagram. I'm, I always post what my latest pieces are as mm-hmm. well as, uh, you know, upcoming shows. So Instagram and, and Facebook are a really great way to see what's coming out of the oven, you know, every day because <laughs> that's where I post I post pieces every day, so that's, that's really lovely. nice. Yeah. And can can people actually buy things off of your website? Do you have sort of uh, stock that they can choose yes. from? Okay. Yes, you can absolutely buy uh, mm-hmm. purchase right from the website. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then I do if people are local, I have uh, appointments. I take appointments to my mm-hmm. studio, so that's another option too. But the social media and the website are. Mm-hmm. Uh, very big for people out of Syracuse, I would say. So it's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Michelle Duran, D-A-R-I-N, jewelry.com. It has been so interesting learning about your work, Michelle. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you this morning. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestful aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.